The Vape Passion Show, episode 99. In this episode, we're going to talk about a Florida man suffering the first ever vape-related explosion death, a girl blows vape out of her ear, regulation of flavors and tobacco products, a vape explodes in a woman's face causing severe injuries, and the San Francisco flavor ban. Hey, welcome back to The Vape Passion Show. So, you haven't seen me in quite a while now, and the reason for that is because... I have been taking a, an economics class, and it's just, it was really hard. It's not my subject. Um, I'm doing pretty good. I have an A in the class, but it's just really hard for me. I haven't had any time at all to do anything other than work and focus on school. So, but now I'm in my last two weeks of that class, and uh, most of my final project is pretty much done. I just need the teacher to, to review it give me some recommendations and then I can make some final edits hopefully and be done with it. So now I'm, I finally have time to do this podcast. So I'm back and, uh, I don't know for how long I, I have to start classing a, a, a new term uh, pretty much immediately, but, um, maybe it'll be easier. Hopefully I'll have a little bit more time to do more shows. So anyway, let's get into it right now. I'm vaping on the Og vape V 200, which I love. Uh, when I first opened this, and you, you might have seen my review for this, I published it a week or two ago, and I thought this thing was so funny looking, and uh, now I've just gotten used to it, the looks, the looks don't bother me at all, but when I saw it in the box, I remember thinking like, oh man, I I hate getting products that are going that I feel like I, I, I'm going to give a bad review, and that's the first thing I thought. And it, and it sucks giving bad reviews. You have to, as a reviewer, you have to give bad reviews, but it sucks because then you have to deal with the aftermath. Um, you know, vendors or whoever sends it to you, manufacturers, they don't like bad reviews and you're just going to have to deal with them maybe, you know, sending you a nasty email. I've never really gotten a, a really nasty email, but I've gotten some unpleasant comments. But it, anyway, this actually ended up being a really good device. I love it. I use it all the time and uh, I'm just always using it. What do I got on there right now? So I have the Bonza RDA. Oh, and I think I have um, the Basics line, that uh, tobacco flavored e-juice. So yeah, uh, love that device. And uh, I also have, and I'm still working on this review. Actually, I'm pretty much done, but the Adopac Penguin from Joytech. And this is uh, the SE edition. It's old now. You know, a lot of people have it. But buybest.com sent it to me. And uh, so I'm reviewing that. And they actually gave me a list of items to pick from. But I p picked that one uh, because I've, I've wanted it. I always see good reviews for it. And I wanted it. So I asked them to send that to me. So anyway, that's what's been going on with me. Um, let's just jump into the stories. So first, let's talk about uh, this man who died from an exploding mech mod. So you might have heard the news recently about uh, this man, Talmadge Wakeman de Alia. He's a 38-year-old man in St. Petersburg, Florida, who died as a result of an exploding vape pen on May 5th, 2018. So the police department, they received a call for the fire at 9.42 in the morning. And initially, all that was really known about this was that a vape pen exploded in his room, caught the room on fire, and he was found dead with burns on 80% of his body. No foul play was suspected, but the death was assumed to be the cause of the vape pen. And uh, people were thinking that it may have even caused the man to die before the fire got to him. Well, an autopsy was performed, and it was confirmed on May 15th that the device exploded and caused a projectile wound that penetrated his skull and his brain. So 
it does appear that the explosion killed him before the fire burned his body. And this is the first ever vape-related explosion death in the United States. Now, the stories for this kept saying vape pen, but it has been confirmed that it's a device from a company out of the Philippines named Smoke E Mountain. And this company makes mech mods, so it wasn't a vape pen. It was a mech mod, uh, most likely the vanilla mod, which is very popular from them. We also don't know if it's a clone or authentic, since a bunch of clones are on the market. Um, but really, that might not make a difference anyway, because being a clone doesn't inherently make it more dangerous. Now, we probably won't ever know why the battery exploded since he was using a mech mod. It could have been due to a number of reasons. Uh, he, was, he was killed by a projectile, they said, so it's assumed that the battery was in the device being used. Something caused the battery to go into thermal runaway. He could have been firing a build that was too low for the battery to handle, or he might have had a short on his atomizer, or maybe something else. Um, we shouldn't be too quick to blame Dahlia. Uh, it was most likely user error, and maybe it was his fault, and maybe not. I know the vape community gets really defensive in situations like this, but a man died, and that's important. Uh, this just goes to show the importance of mech safety, and the importance of teaching it as well. So if you want to share condolences or make contributions in his memory, I'll include a link in the description. Alright, so let's move on to the next topic, a viral video of a girl blowing vape out of her ear. So by now you've probably seen the video that went viral a couple of weeks ago of a girl vaping and blowing the vapor out of her ears. How many of you can do that? If you can't do it, don't bother practicing because it's not a trick that can be learned or perfected. The reason some people can blow vapor or smoke out of their ears is due to perforated eardrums. And there, so what happens is there's a tube that connects your nasal cavity to your ear, but there's a membrane that blocks anything from going through either side of it. According to Dr. Gary Larson, the only way vapor can come through the membrane is if there's a hole in it. So if anything, blowing vapor through your ear could be a good test to find out if you need to go to the doctor to get your eardrum fixed, which you should do because a hole in your eardrum can cause increased ear infections and hearing loss. And I'm going to try it right now. Get anything? Oh. What you do is you just plug your nose and you blow like when you're trying to pop your eardrums, like if you go up to the mountains or if you're in an airplane. Oh. I hate that feeling. Okay, moving on to the next topic, the regulation of flavors in tobacco products. So I talked about this in a video last month where I discussed the potential flavor ban being proposed by the FDA, and I wanted to bring it up again as we get closer to the deadline for submitting a comment on the Federal Register website. The original deadline was originally in June, but the FDA decided to extend that deadline until July 19th. But don't hold off until the last minute because your comment might take some time to write, which I will explain. So keep listening for some tips and then start crafting your comment right away. So just to fill you in a little bit, the FDA has submitted a proposed rule on flavored tobacco products, which will include e-juice because vaping is regulated as tobacco. And that means if this proposed rule goes into effect, we may no longer have flavored e-juice other than tobacco and menthol. Anyone who vapes can tell you how much that would suck. It would kill the industry, and many people would probably just go back to smoking. One of the ways you can fight back right now would be to submit your comment on the Federal Register, which will go to regulations.gov. Don't be offensive in your comment, and, and you, you must act like a, an upstanding, mature citizen. Regulations.gov also has a downloadable tip sheet for submitting comments, but here's the short version. If you want your comment to matter, it should be constructive and informational. They don't want an essay, but they want you to support your claims. So if you're making a scientific claim, you should add scientific evidence to back it up. And you can also explain how you will be personally impacted by the rules. If you disagree with the rule, suggest an alternative. 
if you have credentials that will set you apart from other comments, for example, being a doctor, lawyer, shop owner, or some other relevant expertise, mention that too. And they also ask that you address opposing views in your comment and address the trade-offs. You don't have to comment on everything, just on the points that matter the most to you. And here's what they're specifically looking for. The roles that flavors play in tobacco use with youth the role that flavors play in helping adult smokers reduce or quit smoking, the perceptions that the public has in regards to the health risks and addictiveness of flavored tobacco products, if certain flavors have potential negative effects to the user or nearby people, and what the impact of regulations might be. Now something to point out here is that the FDA is not looking for personal anecdotes unless it's backed up by data. So for example, if you're going to talk about how flavors helped you quit smoking, Share your personal story, but also point out a study that backs up your claim. Casa.org published a post on their site that mentions a few points that you could discuss, such as how many flavors you use or have currently, how you lock your bottles away from kids, what your favorite flavors are, and where you purchase your e-liquid, and why you purchase it from there, for example, from a vape shop or a convenience store. And there's a great spreadsheet listed in the sidebar of Electronic Cigarette, of the Electronic Cigarette subreddit, titled Scientific Publications, and it has a ton of vaping studies. Um, not all of them are pro-vaping, so be sure to review them before picking something at random, but it's completely up to date. VapeMentors.com has also put together an awesome spreadsheet with a list of studies that are focused on, on uh, their pro-vaping studies. So check those out too, and I'll post links to all of this stuff in the, in the notes. Now here's the hard part. You need to write that comment. And I realize that this comment is a little more difficult than these type of types of things usually are. So I wanted to share my own comment to help you get started. But basically, I shared my quitting story. Um, I talked about how flavors played a role. And then I searched in Google for studies related to my main claims. So here's what I wrote. I'm a marketer by trade and a scientific researcher by hobby, particularly in health and fitness. Relevant studies for my comments are listed at the bottom. I started smoking when I was in middle school and continued until the age of 28, which was when I bought my first electronic cigarette. I started vaping eight years ago with the sole purpose of quitting smoking. At first I thought I wanted tobacco flavors, but I quickly found myself using only vanilla, chocolate, and mint flavored e-juice. Part of my goal in quitting smoking was to remove my desire for tobacco, and not vaping tobacco flavored e-juice was a part of that decision, but also because I liked the flavors much more, which is common among vapors. Over the course of three months, I reduced my nicotine levels from 18 milligrams to zero. By the end of the third month, I was completely off of cigarettes and I no longer craved nicotine, so I quit vaping too. In my own experience, the nicotine detached from a cigarette was far less addictive, which made quitting easy. I was a non-smoker and non-vapor for five years after quitting until I started reading studies showing the cognitive benefits of using nicotine. At the time, I struggled with attention and focus at work, so I decided to try vaping again and it seemed to work. The results were minimal, but enough to make me want to keep doing it, so that's why I continue to vape today. I don't vape heavily, just a couple of times per day, and I still have not smoked a cigarette since 2010. So that was my comment, and then I listed three relevant studies. Not all of them related to flavors, but related to my story. Um, one of them showed how vapors consider flavor variability being important, very important to them. And another study showed how nicotine removed from smoking is less addictive than nicotine gum. Which, and, and nicotine gum on its own is also considered not very addictive. So uh, a good study for that one. And finally, a study showing an analysis of 41 studies that showed the positive brain enhancing benefits of nicotine. 
so yeah, that's it. Uh, I hope you found all that useful. And if you haven't already submitted a comment, please do so before it's too late. I'll also put a link in the description to where you can go and submit that comment. But I've also created a short link. So just go to vapepassion.com slash flavor comment and you'll be redirected right to the to that page. All right, let's move on to the next topic. So a vape explodes in a woman's face causing severe injuries. So here we go again with the media reporting a story without understanding how vape technology works and how some products are safer than others. So what the media is reporting right now is that a woman came into a store called The Vapor Shop and they're located in, in Harlem, on Harlem Road in McChesney Park in Chicago. So she came in complaining that her battery was malfunctioning. So the vape shop changed the battery for her. After the battery was changed, she took a hit and the battery exploded. It caused serious injury to her face, it caused tooth damage, and it set a nearby desk on fire. The vapor shop hasn't said anything about the situation yet, stating that they would like to speak to their lawyer first. So this is about all we know uh, for this story. But So here's what I can gather from, from what has been told. In my mind, there are one of two things that could have gone wrong. She's using a mech mod, and there was user error, either on her part or on the part of the vape shop. And whatever that user error was, it caused a hard short and the battery exploded. Now, if this is the case, this story should not be reported as being caused by a vape pen because a vape pen is totally different than a mech mod. Mech mods do not have safety features, and the only people who use them should know the risks. Now, let's say it really was a vape pen or a regulated device. This story says that the vape shop replaced the battery. If this vape shop actually took apart a regulated device that was malfunctioning and replaced the battery, these guys are not only stupid, but they're screwed. They're going to get sued. They should have told her that she should throw it away or send it to the manufacturer. Either way, the media is going to portray this as, as something like all vape devices are dangerous, which they obviously aren't. But, you know, this is just a case of somebody doing something stupid that could have been prevented. Okay, so if you can't tell, uh, I'm still wearing a white shirt, but um, this is a different day. I had to come back in here and do an update. So there, there has been an update on the story, and uh, I just want to share some of my notes here. So... Uh, based on the response from whoever manages their Google business listing, it turns out that the the woman who was injured was actually the owner's daughter. Uh, they say it was a faulty battery, but I don't think they have any way to prove that. Um, maybe it was, but these cases are almost always the result of user error. Um, they also say that she was using a sub-ohm tank on a mech mod, but they've never said what that device was. All they've said is that it was a high-ohm tank and that she's been using the same setup for years with no issues. And they say that she's an experienced vapor who has worked in a vape shop. Um, either way, I feel bad for the lady and for her family. Um, a lot of people say that sub-ohm tanks are okay on regular mech mods, but everyone agrees that tanks are not safe on hybrid mech mods. Uh, I don't know if she was using a hybrid mech mod. But even if you have a regular mech, I do think that there are some increased risks with using a tank, mostly because of pre-built coils. And the, the tanks, the pre-built coils in tanks, they're just susceptible to manufacturing defects. Um, for example, the resistance of the coils might not be built according to what they say on the packaging. The coils might fluctuate while firing. And uh, the pre-built coils, they might be damaged before you even install it. Now, that's just my opinion. A lot of people use tanks on, on regular mechs, but I personally don't. Um, I've, I've just seen way too many shorts happen with uh, my own tanks while using them on regulated 
devices, so I won't use them on, on mech mods. Anyway, in response to this, the store owner has discarded every mech mod in their store, um, trying to prevent anyone else from ever having to deal with something like this. And uh, they're just hoping for their daughter to have a quick recovery, and I hope so too. All right, let's go to the next topic. So San Francisco has finally done it. They banned the sale of all flavored tobacco products, which includes menthol cigarettes and, that's right, flavored e-juice. I wonder if that even includes tobacco flavored e-juice because technically that's a flavor too. So Proposition E passed with 68% of voters for the ban. Now vapors in San Francisco will need to go out of the city to get flavored e-juice or they can buy online or they can go back to smoking cigarettes. It's a, a very poor decision overall and does nothing but hurt small businesses in the city. And I think we all saw this coming when it was first proposed by San Francisco's law lawmakers. Um, it really doesn't come to uh, come as a surprise to me for three reasons. San Francisco, and really California in general, is so gung-ho on regulating vaping out of existence that they just aren't willing to listen to reason. Um, also, the non-vaping public, they don't understand the differences between vaping and smoking. And you see that everywhere, not just California. And the last reason, in my opinion, is that the vaping community, we just don't have the power in numbers that we need to fight laws like this. Um, and I'm not saying that there aren't people in the community passionate enough about vaping to fight back, because there definitely are. I think most of us who spend time on YouTube, listening to vape podcasts like this, reading vape news, we're all willing to spread the word, sign petitions, call our congressmen, and so on, but it's just not enough. I think there are even some people in the community who think that there's nothing that they can do, or they feel like one voice, their voice, isn't going to make a difference. But you have to remember that your voice can reach multiple people and their voice can reach even more people. That's how it spreads. We have to fight back even if we think nobody is listening. I also believe that another problem is that there are a ton of vapors who just don't pay attention to vape news and don't really know what's going on until it's too late. It's not their fault. Uh, these are just normal people trying to quit smoking. They don't care about the hobby aspect like we do, but these are the people that we need to reach. And so far, we failed to do it. But what's the right approach? Can vaping advocacy groups like CASA organize grassroots campaigns? Can trade organizations like the VTA or Safada use funds to pay for TV and radio commercials? Can they run paid ads on social media to reach people in cities where laws like this are about to pass? I think that something can be done and we're not doing it. And what about vape shops? I can't believe the lack of support that we get from vape businesses overall. You think that these guys would care the most about this because it's their business that we're talking about here, their livelihoods and employees jobs. There are some good business businesses out there advocating, but I'd bet that the majority of them aren't. And it doesn't have to be hard. You know, put up a poster on the wall and the door. Talk to customers before they leave. Hand them printouts with their receipts. This is just the beginning, and I believe that it opens up the door for more laws like this to pass. The question is, who will jump first at the opportunity? The anti-vaping groups or the vaping community? Is this the kick in the stomach? that the vaping community needs to take this more seriously, or will everyone just sit back and wait until it happens in their city? Okay, so that's all I have for this one. You'll find the show notes for this episode on vapepassion.com. Just do a search for episode 99. If you want to support the show, consider donating to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash vapepassion. And uh, you can follow me on all the social media sites. I'm, I'm pretty much on all of them. <laughs> just go look around. And the podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So any of those, if you want me to put it on any other platforms, just let me know and I'll take a look and figure out how to make that work. And if you have any questions, you know, email me anytime. I always answer my emails. Sometimes I might take a little long to get to you. Depends on how busy my day is. But 
um, email me alex at vapepassion.com or I, I, I believe I have a contact form still set up on my website that goes up and down because sometimes the forms break. Websites are a real pain in the ass. <laughs> anyway, all right, I'll catch you on the next one.